Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Inside Stories, where we explore Madison one story at a time. I'm Tequila. And I'm Jen. And this week, we are with Bill Stork. And for anyone who listens to this podcast that is also a regular or maybe a semi-regular at the Moth Story Slam here at High Noon, you will recognize his voice. He's told many a wonderful story at the Moth, and so we're happy to have him here. So we're just going to listen to the story. And actually, Bill, would you like to say hello to people before... Thank you for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm actually excited to have people hear your stories. I refer to you, when I try to describe your stories to people, I refer to this this really wonderful storyteller who's a rural vet, you know, comes to the moth. And so, and often the stories circle around a sick, sick anal. So this is one of those kind of stories. So we'll just listen to it. In 25 years of practicing veterinary medicine, I have evolved the notion that animals have a tendency to... To, to evolve in the likeness of their families. Don and Becky and their two kids, Brett and Aaron, had the most amazing little cocker spaniel named Sally. Yep, she had the requisite droopy eyes, goopy ears, and a heart murmur, but she also had the disposition of a nanny. She'd meet the boys at the bus when they got off of school, play ball, walk with them down to the lake. But if Sally had a superpower... It was that she had never barked, not once. Becky would make their veterinary appointments at 3.30 in the afternoon after the boys got off of school. I'd scoop Sally up, put her on the table, do my physical exam. Becky and the boys would sit on the bench and watch. The boys would actually raise their hands if they had a question. We had a lending library at our clinic, and one day I sent him home with a copy of James Harriet's collection of children's stories. Five days later, I got a handwritten thank you note from the boys. Becky was a teller at the Farmers and Merchants Bank in Cambridge, but she was also the perpetual homeroom mother, den den mother, and chaperoned every field trip. Don was a maintenance man at the local candy factory who did side jobs for $20 an hour cash, demonstrating that class knows no demographic. The Wilson's home would make Sanford and Son look like the Biltmore Hotel, (laughs) clad primarily in chartreuse clapboard, Tyvek and tin, surrounded by broke-down wheelbarrows and lawnmowers out front, was a picket fence that was barely held up by burdocks and daylily carcasses. The first sign of Becky's illness was that Don drove her to Sally's veterinary appointment. Soon, there was a faded red bandana molded to her head. Quickly, the flesh started to melt from her cheeks. Still, I'd stopped to make a deposit at the bank She would find a smile somewhere and ask me how my kids were doing. Now, Mother Teresa said, blessed are the sick. I thought that daffy old woman had been chugging the communion wine until I met Becky Wilson. Becky, as she no longer could, she taught her kids how to cook and how to clean and how to do the laundry. She let them see her and Don cry, and they spoke openly about the future. What she would not allow under any circumstances was a late appointment, poor grades, or to skip a football practice just because mom was sick. Becky Wilson's wake was at their home, and I was shaking hands and saying goodbye as I looked past to see Sally. 
laying next to Becky's chair, looking out the window where they used to watch the lake. Now, I'd like to think that at our clinic, we do our dead level best for every client that walks through the door. There are times when you dig a little bit deeper. We aspirated every lump, we extracted every rotten tooth, and we managed Sally's congestive heart disease with top-shelf drugs. Don never saw an invoice. Instead, we'd have him paint a couple of exam rooms or switch out a ballast in our uh, fluorescent light fixtures. But if we were truly dignifying this wonderful woman, the one thing we could not do was let that dog suffer, not even for a day. Late one Friday afternoon, Don brought Sally in under his arm. She hadn't eaten for a week, sparing a couple bites of hamburger and chicken that the boys had fed her, and she hadn't stood for three or four days. We both knew it was time. But Don wanted to take her home to spend one last night with the boys. I advised him that I didn't think there was a snowball's chance that poor little dog was going to live until the next day. But she did. And I met them at the clinic at 6.30 the next morning, and we said our goodbyes before anybody showed up at the clinic. Several weeks later, I saw Don at Brett's last high school football game. I took my place next to him on the chain-link fence, watched the football game. When the coach called a timeout, Don looked up at me and he said, Bill, did I ever tell you about Sally's last night at home? He had not. Well, I woke up at 2.30 in the morning. I tried to stand up, but I fell to the floor drunk, disoriented, and nauseous. I vomited all over the floor, crawled into the, into the kitchen to see Brett stagger out of his room with his brother Aaron across his shoulders in a fireman's carry. The Wilsons did not have a CO2 meter. They had a cocker spaniel named Sally. Sally was standing in the kitchen, staring at the stove, barking and howling and braying like a blue tick hound with a coon up a tree. The pilot light on the stove had blown out. The house was filled with natural gas. The theme of the evening is magic. This story, not only is it true, but also, also happens to be my personal definition of faith. And Becky Wilson looking out for her boys still. That was beautifully told. Wow. Thank you for sharing that story. I did not know where you were going, but I swear you had me hanging on every single word. Well done. Well, thank you very much, Tequila. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, there's many things about your story I'm curious about in terms of how you, I I know you're a writer. You also, so if you want to talk about, you can, I know you're both a vet and a writer and um, there's so many things you do really well in this. And one of the things that struck me listening to it again, you know, this time now is how many great vivid images you use, you know, like um, I wrote, I wrote some of them down here. So the, the day lily carcasses, the faded red bandana, you know, the boys raising their hand with a question. I mean, I really feel like it, it sort of puts the listener sort of in that moment and I could really kind of visualize it, you know? So, um, so I don't know, maybe if you could tell us a little bit, you know, when you're putting together your story. Well, first of all, you have no idea how much I appreciate that comment. And it, it very much speaks to my process because when writers gather, the first thing they will tell you is that if you ever want to be a good writer, you must be a good reader. 
The problem is, as a veterinarian, most of the reading that I do is about uh, the business of running a veterinary clinic or managing immune-mediated hemolytic anemia, which really isn't all that artsy. (laughs) So the writers that I gravitate to primarily, aside from Michael Perry, are people like Chris Christofferson, who is one of the most amazing poets that's ever walked the face of this earth, and a songwriter from Canada named Fred Eagle Smith, and a songwriter named Chris Knight from Southern Tennessee. And what these guys all do is they communicate in images. And sometimes when you read the lyrics to a song, they may or may not make that much sense. But when you hear them present the song, you're going to form some sort of an image. And I've, and those are the writers that I draw from primarily. Yeah, because I feel like, you know, you telling us that those boys raised their hands and also that they wrote you the thank you note, I sort of feel like, okay, I now need, I sort of know all I need to know about this mother, like what kind of mother she was. Yeah, you, you know? set the tone for her motherhood and how she, the thing she did when she was sick with them, you said it really well with just some fine details. And that's a really good example of when you read great writers or you listen to great songwriters, you kind of pick up your own style and mold it to what you want it to be. Well, naturally, brevity is not my strong point, but... The moth um, begs you to to wrap things up in six minutes, in which case it it it's a lot of these stories end up being reinvented because in their original forms they may be fourteen hundred twenty five hundred seven thousand right. words. Right. And for the sake of the moth, I've found out that I can do somewhere in the vicinity of seven fifty to eight hundred eight hundred and fifty words. So a lot of it's. It's interesting and it's fun um, reinventing the stories for the purpose of the moth, not to mention that story, for example, took place originally probably 20-some years ago. Oh, interesting. Things have happened since then. The the story that I'm hoping to be able to tell in a couple of weeks at the moth, that story originally went down 15, 20 years ago, and there's been some developments that have freshened it up in the meantime. New perspective. And uh, time marches on. Yeah, it's interesting. The The second person we interviewed for this was Brendan Pankey, and he told the story. And he, he talked about how when he first told the story, and it has to do with sort of being a father and son, he wasn't yet a father. And so now him telling it, it's changed over time. So I think it's interesting how a story can change over time as, as there's new information. So how did you choose to kind of whittle it down to that five-minute, um, six-minute segment? Well, there were a few things that that I wanted to communicate, and one of the overarching themes to my writing, one of my elevator pitches, having to do with second first impressions, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. I think it's natural to form first impressions, but I also think that we owe it to people, and we owe it to ourselves to revisit those first impressions. So I wanted to paint a picture of Don and Becky and the boys and, and, you know, their home. I, and I have pictures of their home, and the whole Sanford and Son reference mm-hmm. is, is no kind of an exaggeration whatsoever. So I wanted to speak to that. And honestly, more than anything else, what I wanted to, to, to build to in this story is the story, and I wanted to make it crystal clear that that dog saved that family's mm-hmm. life. And one people have been generally kind since I've started writing. I think people who are kind are more standardly more vocal than people who aren't. But there's one in particular, her name was Sarah W. Keegan, wrote this amazingly scathing interview on 
this review on uh, Amazon. Mm-hmm. This book is a colossal disappointment. The uh, author never talks about animals and never with the self-deprecating humor of James Harriet. It feels like being stuck in the good old days, <laughs> being uh, it's an overtly Christian dictum. Now, I, I find that I find that critique extremely valuable because she made some excellent points in the book. It took 90 pages until we started telling animal stories that had to do with the publishing process. And when I wrote a response to Sarah W. Keegan, I said, if you have a different explanation for how it is that this dog was on its death's bed and had never barked a bark in its life, which is why I said that at the beginning of the mm-hmm. story, fat, to frame up how absolutely absurd and how extraordinary it was that this dog woke up in the middle of the night on her last night and did something she had never done in 15 years, mm-hmm. woke her family up and saved their life. Um, that's my personal version of fate. Well, just as a side note, as someone who also has been getting some reviews on my book, I I, I can totally relate to the fact that it sounds like you have memorized word for word, <laughs> word for the, word. Scathing, the scathing review. I have those, you know, sort of, it's, hard, I don't, you can, it's hard, easier to remember those than the good ones. I have one question um, on how you constructed the story, and I, I think it it worked really well. But I was curious what your thought process was. So, you know, you you sort of stop with the chronology. You know, so you the dog goes home, and then you say um, you say something like, "I wasn't sure the dog would survive the night." Then your transition is, "But she did." You know, the dog comes back. You know, then you put the dog to sleep, and then weeks later, you learn about it, and. And it was beautiful the way you did that. I'm just wondering like, what your thought process was to decide to not tell it chronologically, but to circle back to it. It may have, some, have something to do with the fact that I don't remember um, how it is that I found out about her last night. Because I know it didn't take place. It didn't take place when we put Sally to sleep because we were all bawling like a bunch of babies, um, Don and the boys and I. And but I did find out about it later, and I don't remember wh- whether it was when he picked up her ashes. But I I know that, and the moth is supposed to be uh, true stories, to the best of my knowledge and right. the, to the best of my memory. But I do know that I found out about it later. Right. And I do know that I saw Don at a football game, and whether that's where he told me or not, I I honestly cannot tell for sure. Um. But I also felt that that it separated that event so that we could leave that event out there on an island so it would be very clear to the listener. Right. And like I said, you did a good job of foreshadowing that idea of this dog never barked. So this is the quietest, calmest dog. And then I just was kind of waiting, you know, knowing stories and being a storyteller. Okay, when is this dog going to bark? What's going to happen? Like I was waiting on that moment. So I was happy that you brought it back around. I was like, oh, yeah, that was fate. So Not exactly a (laughs) MacGuffin, but... (laughs) What is, what is a MacGuffin? Oh, a MacGuffin is, uh, take, for example, the Ode to Billy Joe, um, one of the most impactful songs ever written. Um, me and Billy Joe McAllister dropped something off the Tallahatchie Bridge. You listen to that song, it's never addressed. Oh, really? It gets your attention. Um, everybody but you, but, but who's you... ever heard that song knows that she and Billy Joe McAllister dropped something off the Tallahatchie Bridge. But we never find out what it is. 
And people have speculated, and that song is 70 years old. Oh, really? Interesting. Those kind of things like yeah. drive you nuts, especially yeah. like in movies when they foreshadow something like, what happened to the... Re-? Like, right. the, why did you tell me that then if you're not going to finish it? So that's one of those things that you can mess with someone psychologically in a story. Either have them going on with you or drop them, and they kind of wonder, well, what happened? Um, well, I have another question for you. Or it's not really a question. It's more of a comment. But um, I really liked this detail. And... As you know, I mean, I so I grew up in a small business. So I'm a big fan of small businesses, and one of the things I like about small businesses is that like human beings run it, and human beings have relationships with their customers who are also human beings. And so I like, you know, when you said, um, you know, that they never saw a bill, and you know, you found other ways for them to to pay you back, and that's the kind of thing you can do, you know, in a small business. That's part of a community, and so. Um, I just like that because I'm always like, yay, yay, small business. You know, so. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And and it is also how we like to run our business. And, and when we can barter, that that's exactly what we do. That's one of the things Amazon will never be able to figure out. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, do you want to tell people listening, first of all, the name of your veterinarian clinic in case anyone listening lives out in that area. And then um, you we tell we, us about your book too. Yeah, we reference your book. So tell us about that also. Well, never mistake. The, the, these are never meant to be commercials for the Lake Mills Veterinary Clinic um, because we never want to do business with somebody else's satisfied clients. But we've been there for, well, you know, I realize, recognize one thing at the beginning of that story is that my next story was supposed to start off with in 25 years of veterinary practice. I have to be real careful with how often I use that. But it's true. We've been there for a while. And some number of years ago, I, I came to know the woman who is now the editor for my stories. Her name is Mitzi Voiles. I met her at a rabies clinic at the Jefferson County Fairgrounds. And she's also a behaviorist, a board-certified behaviorist. We hired her at our clinic, and not only is she our staff behaviorist and guides the direction of our practice, we call our practice a low-stress handling practice because we work really hard to do just exactly that within all of our veterinary visits, Um, but also she's the editor. And how the books came to evolve was that I waxed out loud that I'd always dreamed of writing. And she said, well, I've got editing experience. I'd be more than happy to do it. So I marched her into my office and showed her my desk, which looks like a bomb went off. And I said, I have a feeling this is how these stories are going to come out. Well, she was either too stubborn or or undaunted by the idea of editing my stories. So they got started I'm going to say eight years ago, writing small stories for our local newspaper. And then eventually we found out that I am, I, I've circled back to brevity by virtue of the moth, but brevity is not my my nature by any stretch of the imagination. And the, the books have just built on 25 years of practicing veterinary medicine. Um, we have uh, two questions we like to ask people. And uh, I think you sort of touched on this already, but... Could you tell us a little bit more about how you use storytelling in your daily life, your work life? In in veterinary practice, storytelling I, I, I find is extremely valuable because I call my practice relationship-based practice. And whether you are a banker, whether you're a mechanic, whether you're a plumber, whether you are a service person of, of any stripe, if we are to compete against this monster, which is Amazon and the internet that is um, working really hard to dehumanize commerce, it is by virtue of relationships. 
I honestly, and I've had the discussion with 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 uh, primarily my banker. If 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 you if you pay attention, your bank is attempting really hard to to see your face because there's a yes, there's, we are. <laughs> because in, in bank. Well, I mean, I would come into the bank to make my deposits with you, Tequila. Look at that smile. I come, I'd walk, come on. Um, <laughs> Because <laughs> be, because um, customers who walk through the door um, make sixty percent more transactions with that bank than purely electronic customers. Interesting. Yeah, get off the phones and go see people, talk to people. That's right. the point of story. Actually, that brings people together. Yeah. Um, we have another question we ask, kind of a fun one. What's one of your favorite things to do? I know you don't live in the vicinity of Madison, but close enough. Do you have something that you like to do when you visit? When I visit Madison, I listen to music. Okay, live music? Oh, yeah. Okay, that's great. Yeah, Madison is, is, is definitely filled with music, that's for sure. Well, thank you so much for coming in, and I'm really glad I had a chance. we have a chance to play your story. You know, the thing about the moth is the only people who hear the stories are the people who show up at the high noon, and mm-hmm. so I'm glad that we were able to, uh, you know, to the, the many thousands of people listening to yes. our podcast, <laughs> I get a chance to hear it. Well, I appreciate it as well because, for one thing, I re- I was remember that I had a cold or something at that event, and I was struggling with my voice. Where in the heck did that southern accent come from? <laughs> and 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 yeah, it was interesting. That's the first time I've ever heard myself. It's, it's, I, I do think that's a must be a slightly awkward part of it is to sit here and listen to your story quietly while we all listen. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's what I sound like? Ooh. I know. Well, tell me about it. I'm, I'm the nasally one, so, you know. <laughs> but, great. Yes. Well, thanks again. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Thank you. I was glad to get a chance to get Bill in the studio uh, to hear him talk about his stories because, you know, as I you know, mentioned, he's this regular fixture at the moth you know and he tells you know he often wins when he tells his stories so i was it was good to have a chance to hear him talk more about him right and it has a unique style so i see why you couldn't quite describe it it's very unique and it's a mix of all the things he kind of talked about that have contributed to how he tells a story and how he views storytelling and the listening of the story so that was a good um story to be introduced to yeah come to the moth and you'll you'll probably hear him again okay (laughs) so just you know, back to our sort of nitty gritty details about the podcast. Um, first of all, thank you everyone for listening and subscribing and subscribing. So I don't know if we've actually mentioned this before, but if you are someone who's on Facebook, if you search for Inside Stories podcast on Facebook, we'll always post stuff about each podcast and maybe some extra things about storytelling. So do that and, um, you know, subscribe to wherever you subscribe to them, rate them. Only if it's good, though. We don't want the bad stuff, remember? Um, Definitely want to thank Richard again for the studio. Um, We don't have mood lights today. What's up with that? Just regular white lights? Oh. (laughs) But thank you so much for providing the audio equipment and um, editing and all that good stuff. We appreciate it. And thanks again to the Madison Arts Commission for giving us a little bit of support as we get this podcast moving along. One thing... Just, I don't know that I've mentioned this in the past, but there are two monthly storytelling events. So if you're interested in going to a storytelling event, The Moth is at the high noon, second Monday of every month. And then Madison Story Slam is often at the Wilmar Center. It's on a Saturday. I don't really know what week of the month, but you can find them on, a web, on their website and on Facebook. And as always, if you have ideas for stories or um, tips on local storytelling events, you can email us at... Inside Stories Podcast at gmail.com. And we would really love to hear from you. We want to know where 
stories are happening that we are not connected with. And also, if you got music and you want us to sample it at the beginning or end, feel free to send that to us as well. Yep. And see you next week. Thank you.